All right, well, why don't we pray, and then we'll get into 1 Peter together. Lord, I'm just reminded this morning as we sing these songs that, Lord, again, Christianity is not just one religion among many, one man-made scheme of ceremony among many. Lord, it is knowing the living and true God. It is worshiping the living and true God. Thank you for that incredible reminder. And Lord, knowing you is eternal life. Knowing you is life to the full. There's nothing beyond that. There's nothing that can replace it. There's nothing that can substitute for it. There's nothing that can provide the same just joy. Um, Lord, you have put more joy in our hearts than when the, way, the, the world's grain and new wine abound, as the psalmist says. And so, Lord, we praise you. Lord, you have made us. We haven't made ourselves. As Dave was reading Isaiah 44, you have formed us. Lord, we reflect on that. That is extremely humbling. You have given us new life and new birth by your sovereign freedom, your sovereign mercy, your, your power. Um, Lord, because you loved us in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, that's why we stand singing this morning. That's why we stand um, at all before you because of Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, we're just, I was just reminded of that afresh again, that he's the only one worthy to take the book and open its seals. He's the only one worthy because he did what no one else could do in going to the cross for sinners and rising from the dead triumphant over death and now sitting at your right hand, executing all of your plans for salvation and judgment. Lord Jesus, you are the conquering king. You are the worthy lamb and we praise, we praise you. And Lord, uh, this morning as we come to your word, we pray that you would be our teacher and our shepherd. We pray that you would enlighten us and renew our minds, Lord, truly. Um, Lord, we're reminded that your word is what brings forth life to those who have faith. It works in us. And so Lord, we pray that it would pr- please work in us, renew us, refresh us, cause it to stir us up. Faith, hope, and love, perhaps it has become dormant or just settled, Lord, that you would stir us up, that you would rebuke us, that you would exhort us, that you would encourage us where we need it. And Lord, I've been sneaking suspicion that most of us need it. Lord, we think of all of our brethren that are at home or traveling. Father, we just we thank you for them. We pray, Lord, that if they're struggling with sickness, Lord, that you would continue to keep their eyes lifted to you, knowing that you have plans even through these various trials. Um, Lord, everything that comes into our life, if we're in Christ, comes into our life for our good. Because we are called according to your purpose, Lord, and you've got purposes in our lives, even through pain and sickness. Um, So, Lord, just thank you that we find ourselves in your capable, wise, good hands. But we pray that you would bless us all because of Christ this morning, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, First Peter chapter 2. We'll read 4 through 9. And coming to him, that is coming to Jesus, as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is 
choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This preciousness, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So for however many months now, I've been working my way through First Peter, sometimes up here, but recently in Sunday school. And in Sunday school, we were working our way through verse 5, and there's quite a bit in verse 5, um, at least the way I approach it, um, because a lot of it has links back to the Old Testament, Old Testament concepts. You guys are well aware of that whenever you're reading the New Testament. Most, if not all, of the language is deeply rooted and connected to the themes and the the, the content and the prophecies and the pictures and the events of the Old Testament. So all the language that Peter has here is rooted there. So whether he's talking about living stones or whether he's talking about a spiritual house or a holy priesthood or sacrifices, all of that is all linked to the Old Testament. So knowing your Old Testament is very important to appreciate what Peter has to say here. Very important. Um, you'll miss it, I would argue, if you don't grasp that. So we've been looking at that. In verse 5, we were noticing that we were living stones. That is, we are, we, are, we are those that comprise the temple of the living God. We're no longer looking for a place built over in Jerusalem and Palestine anymore. Um, we have become that to which that old temple pointed to. We are the living stones now. We are God's temple now. And we are God's temple. And we have been built and made such by the Holy Spirit. And that's what Peter says here. That we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house. Right? So this house, again, is not brick and mortar. There's nothing special about our houses of worship, so to speak, that you hear these days. No, the houses of worship are you if you're in Jesus Christ. Right? If you have the Spirit of God, you are the dwelling place of God. Um, that's, I'm not a huge fan of A.W. Tozer, but I love that one title to his book that said, man, the dwelling place of God. I love that, because that's what's going on here, that man has become, in Jesus Christ, the dwelling place of God. We are living stones, and then corporately together now, we comprise the temple of the living God together. This is, we are who God dwells with, and this was always the point, right? It wasn't about brick and mortar and stones. As pretty as it was under Solomon, it's about us, far more glorious than that old temple. All right. So we're a spiritual house unto a holy priesthood. So we become a spiritual house. The Spirit has made us living stones and he has filled us as the temple of God unto a holy priesthood. So now this, this reality that we've, we have the Spirit has, has propelled us into this sort of this new, this new identity, this new function as a holy priesthood. And we looked at that for a long time in Sunday school. A holy priesthood 
And suffice it to say that being a priest in the Old Testament is a very awe-inspiring job, isn't it? It's a very awe-inspiring job. Um, I mean, it's literally life and death every day. If you do it wrong, not only is it a detriment for the people you represent, but it's a detriment to you as well. Um, and we, we talked about that a lot. But, but the holy priesthood it, itself has this idea of serving the Lord directly in a way that other people cannot. Serving the Lord. You see that language of serving the Lord, that they will be a priest to me to serve me. This is the language used all the time. That the priest dwelled in the presence of God, as it were. They were working and ministering in the tabernacle and in the courts. They had very holy work to do um, as they served him. And prescribed in very particular ways, um, only particular, these particular ways that God would accept. And so it was a very awe-inspiring job. I mean, matter of fact, you know, Aaron's own sons, who did it wrong, very soon after the, ord- the first ordination service, got killed by the Lord, Nadab and Abihu, you might remember. Um, this was the most dangerous job on the planet. But it was the most awe-inspiring job on the planet, wasn't it? I mean, think of that. That you see once a year, if you're the high priest anyway, you get to see the glory of God come, consume that sacrifice, and just have that sense that a holy God who, who could inflict wrath and, 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 and strict justice upon us forgives us based on a sacrifice, and now we as a people can be free. That is awe-inspiring to witness and to be a part of that and to be the one that enacts that affair. That's, I mean, that's intense. But the reality is, as believers now, Peter says that we're all priests now. We all have this privilege now of dwelling in the place of God or in the presence of God. We all have this ability now to access him and always just with that recognition that, that we are people that have been given mercy. We are people that, that get to serve a God who, who the writer of Hebrews says is an all-consuming fire. Therefore, serve him with reverence and awe, the writer of Hebrews says. Serve him with reverence and awe. How can we serve this God? How can we serve this God. Makes sense about Jesus. We get that. But us, rebel sinners, we can serve the living God? Yeah, we can. Because of Christ. Because he's brought us near. Because he's, he's the sacrifice that's always acceptable before God. And now we can serve God with reverence and awe. Living in that tension of just the awe that what we deserve and yet what we get is mercy. We just live in that sense of awe. Right? There is forgiveness with you. Therefore you may be feared. The psalmist says. So we live in that and so priesthood just has, has, has that notion of just this awe-inspiring privilege of, of serving the Lord directly. I mean, that's really what it is. And of course, there's the clothing and all, there's all that stuff we don't have time to get into. In previous weeks in Sunday school, we, we looked at that. Okay. Then we looked at the fact that these priests, while we're not, um, no longer is there a priesthood system like the Levitical system, based in an Aaronic lineage or Levitical lineage anymore. No, all of us in Jesus Christ are priests. Sacrifices, while they change, they still go on, right? We don't still offer sacrifices of lambs and goats and bulls and pigeons and those kinds of things, right? But we still do offer sacrifices, Peter says. We offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, okay? So, so there's still a priesthood that continues. It's not like the old, lots of different ways. The sacrifices continue, but not like the old. Now the sacrifices to God are spiritual in nature and mostly in response to what God has done for us in Christ. Okay, and we looked at that again in Sunday school. But what I want to look at this morning is these last three words in verse 5. 
And I want to spend a little time there. Um, because Peter puts him there. God puts him there. And I want us to think through it a little bit. As priests, we offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's the last three words in verse 5. Through Jesus Christ. And I just want to argue and say that without those three words, we have no pleasing sacrifice to offer the Lord. Without those three words. Through Jesus Christ. Just let it sink in for a second. Even in chapter 1, when Peter's thinking about our new birth, he can't even think about the new birth without thinking about what Christ has done 2,000 years ago. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. No resurrection of Jesus, no new birth. Through Jesus Christ is the most important fact, reality, of our entire existence. I don't think that's a stretch to say. You really can't use hyperbole here. When I think about through Jesus Christ, I think about statements that Jesus made, even in his own ministry. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Think about that. Sometimes we think, apart from him, we could do a little something, right? No, it's nothing. And nothing means nothing. Contrary to popular scientific postulation that wants to make nothing mean something. You can really do nothing. Nothing pleasing to the Lord apart from Jesus Christ. Now that passage in particular has to do with fruit bearing in your own life. But the principle itself is true whether you're talking about your initial acceptance with God or your final glorification. Apart from Jesus Christ, you can do nothing. So, so my hope this morning as we look at this a little bit deeper is for all of us to come away with, again, the awe-inspiring reality that apart from Him, we can do nothing at all. But because we have Him, we can do lots of things that will be pleasing to the Lord. So we live in this sense of humility and, and poor in spirit, right? A sense of poverty, but also a sense of incredible gratitude because everything we need to be acceptable to the Lord, even in your small works of faith, are acceptable to the Lord because of Jesus Christ. That's what I want us to, to think about this morning. Three words, you know, Maybe you think, oh gosh, are we ever going to get through chapter 2, verse 5? You know, Well, I don't know. But what I do know is that it's worth thinking through this for your own good. Okay, through Jesus Christ, over 100 times. I, I, I don't know how many, 138 times maybe? Through Jesus Christ or through Him or something like that is, occurs in the New Testament. So let me, let me just give you a little sampling here, just so you can, you can hear it. 
Jesus said to him, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but what? Through me. And on the basis, Acts 3, 16, and on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Acts 4.30 While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders to take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Acts 15.11 But we believe that we are saved through grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Romans 2.16 On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Romans 3.22 Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. Romans 3.24 Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And not only this, but we exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. How are you going to get reconciled to God? How are you going to have peace with God? There's only one avenue, only one channel, only one path, only one person in all of eternity. The eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, is the only way. For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. We exist through Jesus Christ. He is the means by which we are created new in Christ, or exist at all. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You getting a flavor of this? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that through His poverty you might become rich. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Galatians 2, Galatians 3, Galatians 5, Galatians 6. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Giving thanks through Jesus. You can't even thank God except through Jesus Christ. Peter says you've been made a spiritual house unto a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Whoever speaks is to do so as the one speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as the one who is serving by the strength which God supplies 
so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. That's just a sampling of what we're talking about here. So I want you to have a sense of the absolute necessity of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. From start to finish. Really from creation to new creation. Right? All things exist through him. So Peter says he wants you to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable through Jesus Christ. So I want to think through this. Through, obviously, I mean, most of us know what this word means, but it communicates a channel or path by which something travels. Right? And, I mean, in some ways you can say it's a means, but, but it's a channel or a path through which something travels. So here Peter is saying that our, these sacrifices, in some sense, are acceptable through the path, through the channel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the means by which the by which the, the the sacrifices are acceptable to the Lord. So let's think about this. As we think about why does Peter say this? Well, we know, I mean I can I think we know that he says this to encourage the saints. I don't think it's just something where he's you know, sort of a a casual ending to a sentence. I really think that in his mind, he can't write the spiritual sacrifices without putting through Jesus Christ. He wants to make sure that you know that whatever you offer to God is acceptable through Jesus Christ only. He, He wants that to become clear. He doesn't ever want you to have the notion that you can do anything in and of yourselves or or something that in you makes your accept sacrifices acceptable your life of faith acceptable. It's always the qualifier through Jesus Christ. But so so we know that it's stated to give encouragement though. We know that this is something that shouldn't, is not going to keep the saints from doing sacrifices. You know, this isn't a rebuke per se. This is something to encourage them to offer sacrifices. Through Jesus Christ. Well, that should give us lots of encouragement to offer these sacrifices. And I would say also, as we think about this, this, is, this passage isn't first about our justification or our acceptance before God. I mean, it is, but I don't think that's firstly in his mind. Why do I say that? Well, I think it assumes it, but, but again, what is he talking about? He's talking about a life of people offering up spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. He's talking about now that you're in Christ, Yes, you're accepted in Christ because of Christ, but now you go on in a life of faith offering sacrifices that are acceptable through Jesus Christ now, if that makes sense. So in other words, this is about our sacrifices of service becoming acceptable to God through Christ, not about becoming acceptable when we initially come to faith. This is about the ongoing life of faith and those sacrifices offered in that life of faith becoming acceptable to God. So this is something that pertains to us every day is my point. This is something that pertains to the sacrifices of faith you make every day, whether you're praying for the brethren, whether you're giving, whether you're putting sin to death, whatever those things are, you, you take encouragement through these three words. Okay? 
When you're thinking, is God going to be pleased with the sacrifice I make today? I mean, you ever wonder that? You ever wonder if God's going to be pleased with your sacrifice? You know, or, or how are you doing before the Lord? You ever think that? I mean, I think about it all the time. And I, and I, I admit, I don't, always, I don't always know how I'm doing. You know what I mean? It's hard to evaluate. That's why these three words exist. So that you'll be able to answer that. All that little bit of money I gave, you know, I, I, I kind of gave it begrudgingly. I, wasn't, I didn't have the best heart in it, but I know that ultimately it's going to serve the kingdom, and so I gave it, but it wasn't all pure. And, and, and Peter's like, that's okay. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. It's got his stamp on it. So, so what I'm saying here is that this is extremely important. It's very humbling, but it's very important that you, you, re, you realize these three words. If you're going to lift your head at all in the Christian life to live a life of faith, it's going to be because, <laughs> yeah, because of Christ. It's going to be because you know that your smallest efforts will still make it into the Oval Office in terms of being accepted because it's going to have the son's stamp on it. I mean, that's, that's, that's what Peter's saying here, I think. So fundamentally here, what, what is this communicating? Through Jesus Christ. What is this communicating? Fundamentally, it, it's, it's communicating the fact that Christ is mediator between us and God. Not just at some point in the past, but now every day. He is our mediator in our justification, but he is also our mediator in our sanctification and our service to God every day after. Without Jesus as mediator between us and God, we have no pleasing sacrifice. But through Jesus Christ, we are able to offer acceptable sacrifices to God. The idea of Christ's mediation is everywhere in the New Testament. Honestly, it's everywhere in the Bible. The whole idea of mediation is everywhere in the Bible, isn't it? I mean, pick a book. It's everywhere. Whether you're talking about the initial sacrifices between Abel and God, or whether you're talking about um, Moses intervening for the people, or Abraham intervening for Sodom, or, or whether you're talking about uh, you know, the, the temple being built between God and the people. I mean, what, whatever you're talking about here... One thing you fundamentally understand, if you read your Bible at all, is that you can't come to God in, your, in, in and of your own uh, strength or power or, or performance or, or, or track record. You cannot come to God by yourself. You must come with a mediator. And that's fundamentally what Peter is getting at here. And, and if I were writing a the- systematic theology book, I mean... I hope it would end up being a biblical theology book. But what I'm, what I'm getting at is, I was thinking about it, that really the mediation of Christ is a, is a category all of itself, and that, that mediation has subcategories to it. Whether you're talking about Christ as mediator as substitute, Christ as mediator as advocate, Christ as mediator as high priest, right? Christ as mediator as last Adam. I mean, all of those things are really under Christ as mediator, isn't it? I don't know, maybe that's... A novel thinking, but just what I thought. But this is sobering, isn't it? This is sobering. If you're going to go to God, you've got to take Jesus with you. 
It means you have no right to God in yourself. You approach God without a sacrifice in the Old Testament. I mean, even without a proper sacrifice, you will die. This is what the Old Testament teaches us so clearly. We have examples, like I said, priests that die. Because they offered improper, strange fire. But now in Jesus, we don't ever have to worry about that. We don't ever have to worry about that. We don't ever have to worry about if the sacrifice for you is going to hold or is accurate. You don't have to worry about that. Jesus Christ is a perfect, unblemished sacrifice. There'll never need to be another one. And we know that he stands in the presence of God on our behalf, which makes us acceptable to the Lord. And that's true every day. This is hugely encouraging. This is, again, doesn't just happen at conversion. This is every day. And this is why the writer of Hebrews, which we're going to turn to here in a second, is always pointing to the mediation of Christ as priest and sacrifice to encourage us to draw near. And again, that's what I want. I want us to be encouraged that we can draw near. If you feel like you've got strong faith or you feel like you've got faith that's hanging on by a fingernail, you draw near. Why? Because you're acceptable through Jesus Christ. I want you to feel that encouragement and humility because even if you're doing well, you might think that, well, it's because I'm really doing great and I'm very spiritual. Well, on your most spiritual days... <laughs> It's still through Jesus Christ. And on your worst days, it's still through Jesus Christ. So, let's look at Hebrews. Right of Hebrews, big on mediation. Just listen to the language. Hebrews, 3, or Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place. Now that's, the holy place is a dangerous place. <laughs> it's a dangerous place to be. We don't feel that. We should feel that. We don't feel that. It only takes really reading that Old Testament. That's why that Old Testament is so good. You read that Old Testament and you you come away with the questions that they do. Who can stand before the Lord? Right? When you read the Old Testament, that's what you feel. Who can stand before Him? But here the writer of Hebrews is saying, you go ahead and go before Him. You go ahead and go go on in there. Huh? That's scary stuff. Well, it's sobering for sure, but it's glorious because how do we get in there? You have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. You can't can't draw near in prayer without the writer of Hebrews saying, just remember how you got here. Just remember that. By a new and living way, which Jesus inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. What's it cost to get you into the holy place? What's it cost to get you there? What's it cost to have corporate prayer meetings? What's it cost to have regional prayer meetings? What's it cost? It costs the Son of God his own life for you to come to him in prayer. Think about that the next time you want to stay home when you're tired. Or your kid's got a game. Or something like that. Let's get real here. We have a privilege access 
to the throne of the living God where people have died when they have not brought the right sacrifice. And we can come in whenever we want because of Jesus Christ. We can enter into the veil. This is what the Bible teaches us, brethren. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Isn't that precious that you can, you can come to the Lord and you can ask him for forgiveness you can ask him to wash you you can you can ask him to wash even that nasty conscience that's been so gummed up by your bad decisions all day long and because of the blood of Jesus you can have it washed clean see most of us don't draw near because of that one fact You don't think you'll be accepted. You don't think he'll hear you. You think you're too dirty. But you forgot the biggest variable. (laughs) It's the blood of Jesus. That's how you draw near. Writer of Hebrews wants you to draw near. And this 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 is a wavering bunch here in the book of Hebrews. This is a wavering bunch of people. And you know what he still says? Draw near. Isn't that so encouraging? To a wavering people that are tempted to neglect so great a salvation, he says, come on. Come to the holy place by the blood of Jesus. It gets better. It gets so much better. Hebrews 13. So we looked at, in previous weeks in Sunday school, we looked at Hebrews chapter 12 and 13 where the writer of Hebrews wants us to really take serious this privilege we have to serve the Lord. He says in chapter 12, verse 28, we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, therefore let us show gratitude by which may offer to God an acceptable service with fear and awe. That's what I was talking about earlier. With fear and awe. Those are the attitudes of your life. They should be. Fear and awe. If you want to pray for, the, pray for new covenant, pray for that Lord that we would always live in fear and awe of you and what you've done, of reality that we received an unshakable kingdom. Why? Because our God is a consuming fire. Verse 29. All right, and then that that whole life of living with reverence and awe and acceptable service is detailed out in chapter 13. So what does a life of sacrificial faith and a life of acceptable sacrifices to the Lord look like? It looks like chapter 13. Let love of the brethren continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Remember the prisoners. Keep your marriage bed pure. God means business with fornication and adultery. Keep your character free from the love of money. Remember the people before who led you and imitate their faith. Don't be carried away by bad teaching. Get your heart strengthened by grace, verse 10. All of those things. And, and verse 13, go out to Jesus where he was bearing his reproach. Man, that, that chapter is so rich. All of that, he's saying, is that life of faith, that life of acceptable service. And then in verse 15, as he's sort of summarizing everything he just said in chapter 13, he gives two verses to sum it all up. And guess what he starts with? 
Through him then. Through him then. How am I going to love my spouse? How am I going to love the brethren? How am I going to not neglect to show hospitality? How am I going to do all these things? Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. See, the other aspect to this whole issue of Jesus' mediation, this is why this verse was so hard for me. It's elusive because you want to say it's everything. Is it just mediation or is, is there also a sense in which Christ is the only one who provides the strength for you to live a life of faith. Well, that's true too. So whichever way you slice it, it's through Jesus Christ. That's it. That you do anything acceptable. Verse 15, Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices... God is pleased. What do you think God is pleased with? Doing good and sharing in Jesus' name. Doing good and sharing. (laughs) Doing good is a pretty broad category. And sharing. You know, Satan wants it, wants it, Satan wants you to think being acceptable to God is is climbing all the steps of the, whatever that old, uh, Building was in Rome that Luther tried to climb. I can't even remember where he was. The Vatican of the day. I can't remember what it was. Or maybe it wasn't the Vatican. Anyway, but you get my point. He wants, you to, he, wants, he wants you to think it's insurmountable. But what the writer of Hebrews says, it's doing good and sharing in, in Jesus' name. Through Jesus Christ, that's acceptable to God. You know, If we just had that sense that it's the cups of cold water and the text messages and the phone calls, um, the the, the popover meal, um, just the willingness of an open hand when needs are there, if we just had that more and more, we'd be a vibrant bunch, wouldn't we? We'd be a connected bunch. We'd be acts... Chapter 4. But it's all through him. Through him then. And at least this must mean that when you're living the life of faith, you live it with it always in mind. That Christ is the one that makes you presentable. Don Carson says that The entire intercessory ministry of the exalted Christ, because he's thinking in terms of the way the Hebrews lays it out, where Christ is the high priest who's always in the presence of heaven for us, which is is the model here that the writer of Hebrews gives. He's that high priest, and we all as sort of under-priests are serving him. Jesus is that intercessor for us, but he says the entire intercessory ministry of the exalted Christ is by the design of the triune God And its purpose is to lay out in the boldest terms how the safe status of Christ's blood-bought people of all of those those whom the Father has given to the Son depends now and forever on Jesus' once-for-all atoning sacrifice and on the utter satisfaction it provides.
that our whole life utterly depends and is utterly satisfied by the once-for-all atoning sacrifice of Jesus. I was thinking about union with Christ, being united to him, all that language that Paul uses of being in Christ. He uses it over and over and over. All of humanity is either in Adam or in Jesus, in Christ. Thinking, thinking about that also in terms of our being acceptable to God because God sees us united to Christ. And just there was a, a rich Old Testament picture of this. That whole saga of Jacob being accepted and blessed because of wearing his brother's garments. You remember the episode. Isaac wants to pass down the birthright. Keep the promise going on. Keep the inheritance going on. Isaac wants to give Esau the birthright. After all, he's the firstborn. He wants to give it to him before he dies. So he tells Esau to go hunt for game and prepare his favorite dish, come back and eat it with him. And at this point, he'll give Esau the blessing, the birthright. Well, you remember the story. Rebecca hears it. She knows the older shall serve the younger. So she takes it upon herself to scheme with Jacob. So she tells Jacob to go get some goats and she'll make the savory dish. And bring it to Isaac. But there was a problem. Jacob was a smooth man and not a hunter. Esau was a hunter and very hairy. Even though Isaac's eyes were going dim, Jacob was thinking, how are we going to pass this off to Dad? I'm smooth, my brother's hairy, I'm not a hunter, he is. So Rebecca told Jacob to put on animal skins around his neck and put the hairy part on his hands. That way if Isaac wants to feel his skin, he'd feel the hairiness of Jacob. And, and the story goes that Jacob comes and after Isaac is basically settled that this is Jacob, he smells, he hugs and he smells Jacob. He feels his hands and thinks it's his son. And he said to Jacob, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. In other words, you killed something. Right? Esau was successful. He smells like an animal. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. Can you not feel the scandal in it? This man, Jacob, is given an incredible birthright because he stole it, more or less. 
Jacob is blessed because he regards his son Jacob as Esau. And brethren, this is the gospel. Now, it's an Old Testament picture, but I want you to understand, feel that scandal, and that's really pretty close. We are blessed by God, infinitely so, because we come to God with the righteousness of His own Son, with the robes that His Son gave us, His very own robes. If you ever read Zechariah chapter 3, it's so rich. Joshua, his filthy robes are taken off of him, and he's given new robes. Festal robes. And it says that these robes are a picture of God's forgiveness and taking away the sins of the nation. But what you have there is him giving robes, him being given robes that are not native to him. And on this basis, he's acceptable. And so in our lives, the Lord smells these garments and says, Ah, my son, my daughter. That's the picture here. And this gives us great encouragement. And it's not as if God doesn't know it's really us, right, when we come to him. Right? We're not deceiving him in that sense, but it's a picture. The reality is, because of Christ alone, we are blessed. And now every offering of faith has this scent about it, has this smell on it. Jesus. It's aroma. And that's how it's acceptable. Not because we did it perfectly, but because of Jesus. Therefore, all the sacrifices we make, we make knowing that they do not add to our acceptance with God. It's not why we do it. We come with the pleasing smell of another. We come knowing that apart from Christ, all our righteousness is filthy rags. But the amazing thing is that even the smallest good work done in faith is a sweet smell to him because it's done because of Christ, by his strength, for his glory, and on account of the righteousness he's given us. You know, I thought about Christ sort of acting like a notary, you know. We have this, notaries exist, right, because we want to get our documents legalized and binding in court. And it's like Christ is our notary, you know. Our small acts of faith, done in faith through Jesus, are acceptable to God because he stamps them with his own blood. And whatever imperfections there are in those sacrifices, they're covered by the blood of the Lord and seen as acceptable in his court. So I just want this to be a huge encouragement to you when you're thinking, what can I do? What can I give? I even think of our singing this morning. Some of us are full and singing with full hearts. Some of us are singing with raw faith and empty hearts. But faith is there nonetheless. Saying even help my unbelief. That's faith. Which sacrifice of praise and worship is acceptable? Well, both are, aren't they? Why? Because they're done through Jesus Christ. They come with the smell of his son. What about a late night call to a brother or sister you know who may, may be in need? And you know you should call him, but you're, you don't really want to. 
but you definitely want to make sure they're okay and that they're walking with the Lord. So you pick up the phone, you text them, or better, you call them to see how you can pray for them. Or you might have be, be having an amazing time on a similar evening, worshiping the Lord in the car, listening to Brooklyn Tab's Christmas album, like I do. I love me some black gospel. What can I say? Just is what it is. Just it's good stuff. Worshiping the Lord, roofs coming off the car, and then after that song, I want to call three people and tell them about the gospel. Which picture? Is your sacrifice of calling that person more acceptable? Which one's more acceptable? Or they're both equally acceptable, aren't they? Why? Because it's through Jesus Christ. They both come with the smell of his son. Therefore, in every area of life, be encouraged that he's looking for faith and the acknowledgement that Christ makes us acceptable at the beginning and all the way through our Christian lives. So do not be discouraged. Christ is mediator and high priest now and forever. He lives in the presence of God for us, the writer of Hebrews says. And I'll just say it again. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. See again, our sacrifices we make have nothing to do with sin. They have everything to do with praise. They have everything to do with thanksgiving. They have everything to do as a response to what God has done in Jesus. We don't offer sacrifices to try to merit our way to God, right? We have offer sacrifices to show, how, show to God how thankful we are. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And I'll end with a hymn here. I think that captures what I've tried to explain this morning. And I love it because it's what I'm trying to say. I, I, want, I want us to preach to ourselves these things all the time, the things I preach to myself. I want, I want this hymn to preach to you. And that's why, that's why it was written, actually. I think it was a Wesley that wrote it. But I think that's, that's why he wrote it. Maybe he was writing it for himself. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off the guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne my surety stands. Before the throne my surety stands. My name is written on His hands. He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love, His precious blood to plead. His blood atoned for all our race. His blood atoned for all our race and sprinkles now the throne of grace. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransom sinner die. Shake off your guilty fears and rise. My God has reconciled his pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child I can no longer fear. With confidence I now draw nigh. With confidence I now draw nigh. And Father Abba, Father, cry.
You know, through, through Jesus Christ is everything. It's everything for our confidence. It's everything for our joy. It's everything for our life of faith. It's everything for our hope. It's everything to keep you humble, to realize that apart from him you can do nothing. The scary thing, though, is that if you don't know Jesus Christ, everything you do is reprehensible to the Lord. Everything you do is, dare I say it, disgusting. Because you don't do it clothed in the smell of his son. You do it clothed in the smell of your own self-centered, selfish, self-absorbed works. That again, in God's nostrils, are putrid. I mean, he uses pretty strong language, doesn't he? I mean, we all, we all know what filthy rags means in the original, don't we? We know what it means. Is this hyperbole? This is what God thinks of them. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I want you to know that, that you can't please God if you don't know him. The glory of it all is that God has provided his son. God has given us Christ. And when you believe on Jesus Christ, he gives you a white robe. He gives you status of son or daughter. And you're his. That's the scandal. (laughs) But it's the glory of the gospel. And I was thinking too, it's through Jesus Christ, I was thinking too, with all the language that you hear on the radio, just come just as you are. That God accepts you just as you are. You know, it doesn't quite cut the mustard. Right? I mean, there's a, there's a sense in which I could say that, and I think that's true. Because I would want people to know that you can't clean yourself up, God has to clean you up. But it has to be so clear, doesn't it? That you come just as you are, believing in Jesus Christ. <laughs> it has to be that clear. You must come to Jesus Christ for God to accept you. He is the only way. You don't just come saying, Lord, I'm a wreck. You know, let me live for you. Something like that. I mean, if you say that and you've got faith in Christ, of course, that, that all can work out. I'm not trying to be formulaic here. But my my point is that Jesus Christ has to be the center object of your faith. It can't just be wanting to turn over a, a religious leaf, be a better person or whatever. It's all about Jesus Christ. That's all I have. So I figured that's all we'd get to, but that's okay. But I just want us to be encouraged, brethren, to draw near by the blood of Jesus through what he's done, and to offer a life of faith. Just remember, sacrifices, don't try to get caught up in which, what are sacrifices that we offer as priests now and what aren't and all those kinds of things. As the writer of Hebrews says, it's doing good and sharing, right? So, I mean, it's all of that life lived in faith that you do directly for the Lord, right, with access to him.